So we thank God for His ministers and people who travel around the world to serve His people. And the years ahead, we'll be facing many challenges. But even now, with tensions rising over North Korea's threat for nuclear war, and the military, at least some news reports, said that our military is going to be set with our nuclear B-52 bombers with 24-hour alert. So in spite of world conditions, we have to be alert and make sure that we can weather the storms of stress and trials. We have a mission to perform for both the church and for us individually, and we must live each day by faith and overcome daily with the Spirit's sword. That's God's Word. The next edition of the Living Church News, November-December 2017, Mrs. Faye League writes in an article titled, Women as Christian Soldiers, quote, As we continue on our journey as Christian soldiers, let us seek God's will every day by putting our basic training into action and by continuing to stay the course into God's kingdom while growing in the righteous character of God. She said, let us seek God's will every day. Are we actively doing that? Turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. When we seek God's will, we know that God knows what's best for us. Matthew, the sixth chapter, gives us the model prayer or the outline prayer. Matthew 6, starting with uh, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means hallowing his name as his name is hallowed in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you praying that God's will be done in your life every day? If you are submitting to God's will, you are living in faith. And you have confidence and you have contentment. If, however, you're struggling to meet the challenges of life without acknowledging God in your ways, then you will be experiencing frustration, tension, and even anxiety. In last week's sermon, Mr. Weston gave the sermon, How Do We Know Right from Wrong? And he documented the subtle and deception, deceptives of Satan, deceptions of Satan, and the influence that may be affecting our lives, as we even heard in the sermonette. Uh, Do the traditions and the experiences and the ways of the world affect us in any way? We have to be actively seeking God and to seek His will and not our own. Self-will is sometimes stronger in our life than God's will. It should not be. But can you point to your life and see that God has actually worked in your life in a special way? And is it possible that some of the experiences or problems we experience are caused by a lack of faith in God and His ability to guide our life? How willing... Are you to do God's will? How responsive are you to God's will? So in today's sermon, 
We'll examine some examples of individuals conquered by God and who were seeking God's will. We'll also survey examples of selfish servants who chose self-will rather than God's will. And we'll discuss four strategies for accomplishing God's will in your life. The title for the sermon today is, Your Will Be Done. You turn to Philippians, the second chapter of Philippians 2. Your will be done. This is actually a second part of a two-part series based on Philippians, the second chapter, which has two major admonitions and instructions by God. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So God is going to work in us to do what? To do his will and to do his good pleasure. I gave a sermon some time ago on are you pleasing God based on Philippians 2 and verse 13. That was sermon number, believe it or not, 1008. Are you pleasing God? This sermon today is sermon number 1015. Sermon number 001 was by, given by Dr. Meredith uh, back in uh, 1998. So uh, we're down to 1,015 sermons so far. So we'll come back to that scripture later on, Philippians 2.13, but let's consider how we might respond to God's calling. We can uh, respond unwillingly, or we can respond reluctantly and begrudgingly, or we can respond enthusiastically and willingly. Turn to Matthew 21 and verse 28. Matthew 21, 28. We have an example here of two individuals. Matthew 21, 28. Jesus was telling the story. But what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first, Jesus said to them, As a surety, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And, of course, he was talking to the chief priests and elders when he said that. That's verse 23 of Matthew 21. So, you can respond willingly, unwillingly, but the very final decision had better be, yes, I am a willing servant of yours. I turn to Matthew 23, just over the page. Matthew 23. Another group of people that were unwilling. They were not going to follow God's will. Jesus, who was king of Salem, or Jerusalem, is mentioned in 
Hebrews 7, verse 2. That was, of course, when he was Melchizedek, the Eternal, the one who became Jesus Christ, that in 31 A.D. he wanted his people to respond to his ministry. But did they? Matthew 23 and verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he said with emotion, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Here is the king of Salem, the creator, the savior of the world, and they didn't respond. They were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So are you willing to do God's will? And do you always respond willingly? Who else in the Bible did not want to do God's will? And turn back to Jonah. Of course, you've already given the answer to the question. Uh, Jonah... In the uh, Minor Prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Comes after Obadiah. Jonah, the first chapter. The word of the Eternal came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So how did Jonah respond? But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. How did he think he was going from the presence of the Lord? God says that the darkness is bright light to him. He's omnipresent. Psalm 139. His spirit is everywhere. How can you ever go from the presence of the eternal? You can't. But he thought he would. And you know the rest of the story. In fact, we have in our current uh, Living Church News, this is the September, October edition of the Living Church News, 2017. Mr. Weston's dear brethren, understanding Hebrews 11, verse 1. But then there's Mr. Peter Nathan's article, Jonah, the Reluctant Prophet, or what it means to be at one. I hope you've read that. If you're not, uh, please read that article and read the whole magazine for that matter. Jonah, the Reluctant Prophet. Yes, he was reluctant, and God had to help him to co-op- cooperate. And sometimes God helps us to cooperate when we aren't so submissive and responsive to him. The word begrudging, he was probably uh, fits that category as a definition. To give or concede reluctantly or with displeasure, to look upon with disapproval. So instead of fleeing from God, we need to flee to God. And you know that in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. But turn there. It's always meaningful to all of us. When you're feeling distant from God, you have to set forth and seek Him. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Seek the eternal while He may be found. There's a time coming when there'll be a famine of the word, as the prophet Amos predicts in the future. You need to 
make hay while the sun shines, to use an idiomatic expression. Seek the eternal while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Yes, while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What an awesome blessing God pronounces to us. We need to pray for a willing heart. And if we have a certain distance or reluctance or begrudging to follow his will, we need to pray that God will give us a willing heart. Who in the Bible did have that willing heart? We'll turn to Acts 13. Some of you know the answer, but this is amazing. Acts the 13th chapter. The Apostle Paul is uh, in Antioch and he's preaching to them. And he's rehearsing the history of King Saul. When God removed him, verse 22, Acts 13. And when he had removed him, that is King Saul, he raised up for them, David is king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. David was a man after God's own heart. And of course, we have to ask ourselves, are we men, women, and children after God's own heart? Dr. Meredith wrote in the LCN, November, December 2011, an article by that title, After God's Own Heart. He wrote the following, There were two primary ways by which King David obeyed this fundamental command. First, as we know, David sincerely loved God's law and meditated on continually. The other key manner in which David expressed his profound love for God was in the attitude of being deeply thankful, appreciative, and worshipful before God in a manner beyond what most men in human history have ever exhibited. That's from Dr. Meredith's article, After God's Own Heart, from the November-December 2011 LCN. And Dr. Douglas Winnale also wrote an article by the same title in the November-December 2012 LCN, God's Own Heart. So who else is willing? Who has a willing heart? Turn to Philippians, I'm sorry, Revelation, the third chapter. Revelation 3. And here God looks down on the Philadelphian church. He looks on the church with love and with encouragement. And he says, you are persevering. You are keeping my command to persevere. Notice he says in verse 8, Revelation 3. And verse 8, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. Now, we aren't the mighty in the world. We don't have huge financial and other resources. For you have little strength. Have kept my word. Who's following God's will? Philadelphians at heart. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. He is the ever-living one. So genuine Philadelphians fulfill God's word, and they keep his word. They obey his word. 
Let's now discuss four keys to accomplishing God's will in our own life, to fulfill His will. Key number one, and these are very simple and and straightforward. Number one, seek God's will. Turn to we already saw Matthew 6, verse 9, that we to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We read Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7, to seek the Lord while it may be found. We turn to Proverbs, the second chapter, Proverbs 2. I've mentioned before how as a boy I was just so enamored with treasure and I even would dream of finding uh, treasures in my backyard, you know, dig down and here was a, a treasure trove, or, or finding coins on the street. I just really love treasure. But God says here, you need to seek for wisdom, knowledge, and truth, and understanding as hid treasure. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. Yes, you are seeking God's will. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the eternal and find the knowledge of God. For the eternal gives wisdom And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Turn to uh, Psalm 24, verse 5. We need to have that attitude of desiring God's will, desiring the truth, knowledge, understanding. And to have that teachable attitude. When you seek God's will, you have that teachable attitude. You want understanding. You desire truth in your heart. Psalm 25, verse 4. I've mentioned before how one of my Bible studies with Mr. Armstrong in my freshman year at Ambassador College in Pasadena, uh, he said, Brethren, you need to memorize this verse. And I did back in 1962. So it's been, what, 55 years since that I've learned this verse. Psalm 25, verse 4. Show me your ways, O Eternal. Teach me your paths. It's a desire to want to do it God's way. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. If you've not prayed that prayer for, from the heart, uh, consider doing that and cry out to God. Psalm 32 and verse 8, Psalm 32, and verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Well, human beings don't want to go God's way. But we need to seek His will. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. No, these are reluctant servants. These have to be urged. They have to be guided to do the Master's will. I kid my wife from time to time because she's from Missouri, and the state animal from Missouri is the mule. So be not like the horse or like the mule. 
Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the eternal mercy shall surround and be glad in the eternal and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in the heart. So we need to seek God's way in all our lives, and we will face many decisions the remainder of 2017 and on into 2018. How are we going to make those decisions? You may face challenges in finances, family, job opportunities, maybe moving to another city, uh, relationship decisions. We need to seek God's will in making those decisions. Uh, I won't turn there, but just quote Matthew 7, verse 7. When you're making those decisions, you're seeking God's will. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and you shall be given you. It will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it will be opened. Now turn back to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. And again, this is, I probably quote this scripture in almost every other sermon. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And I always remember that table topics at the Living Youth Camp one time. And one uh, question was, what is your favorite scripture? And one of the girl campers said, yes, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Because you are wanting God's will to be accomplished in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. So why is this happening to me? I don't understand. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. But what is the seventh law of success? Um, I'll take a survey. How many of you know what the seventh law of success is? Let me see your hands. Oh, wow, dear. That looks like about 62%. So the other 38% uh, need to make sure that you're following it. Virtually, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It is acknowledge, seek God's guidance continually. Seek God's guidance continually. So that's the seventh law of success. So we want God's Guidance in all that we do and say. In fact, we have that reprint article, Achieving Godly Success, reprint article number 140. And uh, you children and teens and adults need to read that article, Achieving Godly Success. It also uh, has con- discussion on the seven laws of success as well. Character development includes making wise decisions. So that you are fulfilling God's will when you make those decisions. We've had articles in the past. How do you make wise decisions? There are several principles. I'll just mention them quickly. You define the problem or the question. What's the problem? What's the question? You get the facts. And then you seek options or alternatives. This is a problem. I have got a tumor. What am I going to do? You seek various options. You pray for God's guidance and that His will be done. Then you count the cost. You seek wise counsel. And there are several Proverbs you know on seeking wise counsel. Proverbs 11:14, Where no counsel is, the people fail or fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15:22, 22. 
without counsel. Purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise counsel you shall make your war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Turn to Colossians 1 and verse 9. So when you counsel, pray also that the counselor will give you wise advice, and that the decisions that you will make will be godly and according to his will. So whenever I used to counsel with Dr. Meredith, I would ask God to inspire him to give me wise counsel. And I do that with Mr. Weston when I need counsel from him as well. You pray that God will give him wise counsel for you. So key number one in accomplishing God's will, fulfilling God's will, is number one, seek God's will. Number two is to know God's will. If you seek God's will, as we saw in Proverbs 2, as for a treasure, uh, God will reveal the truth to you. Colossians 1 and verse 9. Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. We pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will, and we all know what is His will. His will is from Genesis to Revelation. And he gives us that instruction for his holy word. His word is truth, John 17, 17. And the Bible can tell us whether we were on the right track or on the wrong track. The whole Bible reveals God's will. And what part of God's will is in John 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. Again, we need to understand that God's way is the way of re- rejoicing, of Love, of peace, of happiness, of fulfillment, of true godly success. John 10, verse 10. And so you have the reluctant servant who doesn't want to do God will. He wants to do his own will. But he doesn't yet realize that the way to happiness and fulfillment and success is doing God's will. John 10, verse 10. The thief could does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So God reveals that when we know His will, when we're striving to recapture true values, is the motto of Ambassador College and Living University, we will be happy. We'll be satisfied. We will be fulfilled. So what is the way to true values. True values are revealed in, of course, in the high spiritual sense in Galatians 5, the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, you know, temperance, self-control, faithfulness. But we know that we need to recapture true values in all aspects of our life. And I, I was, I guess, 
very, very happy, let's put it that way, at Ambassador College because I felt I had the freedom to recapture true values in entertainment. I had the responsibility of sometimes uh, presenting a uh, humorous uh, advertisement for some activity in the uh, college assembly. And it was fun, and yet realizing this is God's way of life, this is going to be approved by God because it's supporting the great two commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we all enjoy, I hope we enjoy, and I hope our students at the Living University enjoy recapturing their true values of entertainment. And we all must recapture their true values in the broader sense for our whole nation, our whole society, the whole world. The true values of science, of literature. And we just heard in the sermonette, those are wrong values of entertainment. But we want the true values of business and architecture and family relations and education. Mr. Armstrong, along that line, had Ambassador International Cultural Foundation, in which he would bring the great performers of the world uh, there at Ambassador College to see this is the potential of human beings to reflect beautiful music, whether it's orchestration, instrumental, or vocal, to recapture true values and also fulfill the incredible human potential. And he wrote a book by that title, The Incredible Human Potential. Referring to the Gospel, Mr. Armstrong writes, that message reveals the most necessary facts about humanity. What man is, the purpose for which mankind was put on, on earth, where we are going, what is the way to world peace, happiness, and universal prosperity? What are the true values? What is the awesome human potential and how it may be achieved? That's pages one and two from Mr. Armstrong's book, The Incredible Human Potential. The whole Bible reveals God's will, and we understand that purpose for human being because we are keeping the annual festivals and holy days that reveal God's plan. Key number two for accomplishing God's will is to know God's will. Key number three to fulfilling God's will is surrender to do God's will. I'm going to take more time on this particular section. I hope I'll be able to get to key number four before time is up. Sometimes it's a struggle to make that commitment to actually surrender to God's will. Human nature resists wanting to do God's will. The Apostle Paul describes that struggle, and I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, can identify with the struggle you have with human nature. And the Apostle Paul describes that struggle, uh, that struggle in Romans 7, starting with uh, verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will, do, will to do, yes, what I will to do. God has given us free moral agency. We have a will. We can decide to go God's way or decide not to go God's way. 
For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not do, not to do, I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. In other words, his human nature is contrary to what he knows he should be doing. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do it, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me to the captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Verse 24, Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He's describing the struggle. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have experienced that same struggle? You've been tempted and you know, and I can, I won't tell you, I can tell you some stories, but I won't tell you the stories. I've been tempted and I'm struggling. I don't want to do it, but I want to do it. My human nature wants to do it, but I know I shouldn't be doing it. And you're struggling and struggling. How do you solve that problem? He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, I will gain the victory through Christ our Lord. I will make the right decision. I will totally surrender and submit to God's will and not to human nature and my own will. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And he goes on to show the power of God in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit chapter, yes, that's how you're going to perform what is good, through God's Spirit, by His power. John 17, 17, uh, no, I'm sorry, John 7 and verse 17, not John 17, 17, which is, your word is truth. This is John 7 and verse 17. Jesus talks about His attitude doing the Father's will. John 7, 17, if anyone wills to do his will, yes, you have a choice. Are you going to choose to do God's will? You will, you have a will, you have a strong will to do it, or are you weak-willed? Talk about weak-willed people. You know, Esau was a weak-willed individual, sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And on the other hand, who else was strong-willed? Saul, who was persecuting true Christians. He had a very strong will. And he had to have that will conquered by God so that strong will would be channeled in harmony with God's will. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether 
I speak on my own authority. If you're going to do God's will, you know what the truth is, and you know the true Christ of the Bible, and you know the true doctrine of the Bible, if you're going to surrender to God's will. John 5, back a couple pages, John 5 and verse 30. I can of myself do nothing, Jesus said. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Yes, we need to all surrender to God's will and overcome self-will. And sometimes we have to recognize that self-will, that that human nature just keeps coming up. That old man uh, keeps trying to resurrect himself. You have the two chapters on the Bible that talk about the old man and the new man. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. And that old man just likes to keep resurrecting himself. So you need to recognize that will. There are a couple quotes from the dictionary of, uh, New Dictionary of Thoughts. One by uh, William McDougall. Will is character in action. Well, what kind of character do you have? Is it a godly character otherwise? Self-will. Self-will is the source and the spring of all that envy, malice, bitterness of spirit, malcontentedness, and impatience, and all those dark passions, those inordinate desires and lusts that reign in the hearts and lives of wicked men, by A.J. Smith. One other, excuse me, one other on, on will. The saddest failures in life are those that come from not putting forth the power and will to succeed. That is, of course, you're channeling your will to do God's will. So we have to overcome self-will. Turn to Titus, the first chapter. The struggle to totally surrender to God, that you're giving up your life, your passions, your personal goals, your human nature desires. It's a struggle. Titus 1 and verse 7. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed. So when we surrender to God's will, we have to conquer this self-will. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy, for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may with sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So we need to conquer self-will. The uh, Vines Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words says self-willed is denotes self-pleasing, denotes one who dominated by self-interest and inconsiderate of others arrogantly asserts his own will. So that's self-will. And so the whole process of character building includes the matter of overcoming our human nature, and we're taught that through the days of unleavened bread. We're reconciled to God by the death of His Son, We keep that Passover. We realize that He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
But then we come to the days of unleavened bread when we need to recognize the change in human nature that we must put out the leaven of malice and wickedness and replace it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, God's nature, replacing human nature with God's nature. And we know that the greatest thing that God is creating is perfect, righteous, godly character. And I emphasize this in my class on Living University on the Introduction to Biblical Doctrines. For the Mystery of the Ages book, Mr. Armstrong talks about character, what our purpose in life is, to yield to God so that He can create in us His perfect masterpiece, His righteous, holy, godly character. Quoting from page 69 of Mystery of the Ages, quote, Mr. Armstrong writes, quote, I repeat, such perfect character must be developed. It requires the free choice and decision of the separate entity in whom it is to be created. Yes, the free choice and decision. But further, even then, it must be instilled by and from the Holy God who only has such righteous character. But what do we mean by righteous character? Perfect, holy, righteous character is the ability in such separate entity to come to discern the true and right way from the false. Yes, seek God's will, know God's will. To make a voluntary and full and unconditional surrender to God. Yes, key number three, surrender to God's will. A full and unconditional surrender to God and His perfect way. To yield to be conquered by God to determine even against temptation or self-desire to live and do the right. And even then, such holy character is the gift of God. It comes by yielding to God to install, instill His law, God's way of life, within the entity who so decides and wills. Actually, His perfect character comes only from God as instilled within the entity of his creation upon voluntary acquiescence, even after severe trial and test. I have devoted a few paragraphs to this point because it is the supreme pinnacle means in God's overall purpose. End of quote. He mentioned four different steps. He didn't enumerate them, but they're almost parallel to the keys to accomplishing God's will. Number one is the willingness and ability to understand right from wrong. You know, people may understand right from wrong, and some don't even care to find out what is right and wrong. But you must have the willingness to find out what is right and wrong. Secondly, a commitment to choose living righteously. And that's what we're talking about, this surrender to be conquered by God. It's a total commitment of your life. And at baptism counseling, we cover the counting of the cost in Luke, the 14th chapter. This is going to cost you your life. And we're to be living sacrifices, as it tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter. Three is to resist all temptations to compromise. So even once you make that commitment, there are going to be problems. And and sometimes when a person is baptized, Satan will go right after them. We should warn our people, you know, some, that doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes after someone's baptized, 
Uh, Satan will go after that person. You have to resist the temptations that once you've made the commitment, you are dedicated. You're going to stand for the truth. You're going to stand in the gap. You're going to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And fourthly, practice righteous living until it becomes habit and becomes internalized. And you look at yourself, you know you have godly characteristics you have internalized. Oh, well, what have you internalized? Uh, most of us, I don't think, I, I've internalized um, the ability not to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> you know? That's not a problem. It's a part of my character. I told you the story how I overcame that, you know, at 11 years old, because I was there in New London, Connecticut. They had a vending machine, and I... I, uh, no one was around, it was dark at night, I put a quarter in the vending machine, got a pack of cigarettes. I smoked the whole pack of cigarettes, and I was very, very ill. And I never smoked a cigarette after that, and I never desired to smoke a cigarette after that. So, part of us, we've already instilled certain characteristics, and hopefully we have more of the love of God, and the fruits of the Spirit, and joy, and peace. And we're growing in that. That becomes eternalized. It's the new covenant that God is writing His laws on our hearts and our minds. We internalize it. It's become a part of our eternal character. And we're not finished yet. We're in that process. You've heard this quote. It's unknown, but I'll repeat it for you. A quotable quote. Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words... For they become actions. Watch your actions because they become habits. Watch your habits for they become character. Watch your character because it becomes your destiny. So we realize that we are in a character building process and we have to surrender to God. We have to overcome the temptations that come along. And when we surrender to God, we, as the people on Pentecost, respond to what the Apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of his sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Three thousand were baptized that day. What does God require for baptism? Two things. One, repentance and faith. And as he said in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized. Baptism is an act of faith showing your acceptance of Jesus Christ shed blood and, of course, that He is your living Lord, Master, Savior, and High Priest and soon coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus said there, of course, in preaching the Gospel in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15, Repent and believe the Gospel. So repentance and faith are required. And then, of course, God gives us the Holy Spirit, and Romans 6 gives the symbolism of baptism. The old man is being buried in a watery grave, and you come up to walk in newness of life. And I, I pray about that every once in a while, that God can help me to walk in newness of life. But you're buried in that watery grave, and you come out. All your sins are washed away. They're all forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's paid for those sins. And then you have the Holy, give the Holy Spirit 
so that you can live a new life. And you're no longer a slave to sin. I asked my wife to read that to me on the way here with Romans, the sixth chapter, I think it's verse 15 and 16, that once you were a slave to sin, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but now you are free from sin. We still have that struggle to overcome human nature. I, just to share with you a humorous story I was telling at lunch yesterday, uh, thinking about a, a baptism back in years past, way back, probably four or five decades ago in Big Sandy. Uh, one of our local ministers there was going to baptize a, a woman, maybe uh, uh, Jane Smith, that wasn't her name. And so as we typically standing in the water, and he says, what is your name? My name is Jane Smith. Jane Smith, have you repented of all your sins? No, sir. Why didn't you tell me? You didn't ask me. So it's kind of hubris, but anyway, uh, I think his counseling procedures changed after that, and we make sure we counsel people a little more thoroughly that we ask them. Yes, you've got to repent of all your sins. So what else do we repent of? We repent of selfish ambition, which is mentioned as one of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. And also we repent of habits that are sometimes addictive. And we already know that President Bush, President Bush, President Trump announced an opioid national uh, emergency, because we have 91 people at least dying every day from opioid uh, overdose. And we have to make sure that we aren't giving in to the temptations of this world. 68, uh, not only of the opioid uh, epidemic, uh, but uh, 59,000 lives died, or 59,000 people died, from a drug crisis in 2016. So it's become a public health emergency. Uh, Mr. Weston uh, just finished the first draft for the November semi-annual letter. And in that letter to about 250,000 Tomorrow's World subscribers, we'll be mailing that to in November, he wrote the following. Quote, we hear much about the opioid epidemic facing America and other Western nations. It is killing more people in the United States each year than Americans lost in the entirety of the Vietnam War. Uh, End of quote. So many of our people are becoming addicted. This is the September 2017 uh, National Geographic. The Science of Addiction. How new discoveries about the brain can help us uh, kick the habit. And uh, on the first page in the article has a, a woman who uh, became addicted to heroin two decades ago after taking prescription pain pillars for a work injury. Last year, she was living in a homeless encampment under a Seattle freeway. And it begins this way, quote, Addiction hijacks the brain's neural pathways. Scientists are challenging the view that it's a moral failing and researching treatment that could offer an exit from the cycle of desire, binging, and withdrawal that traps tens of millions of people. 
I asked uh, Dr. Scott Winnell to comment on that, and I can't, I can't take the time to read all of it, but he gave an excellent uh, commentary on it. Uh, he says, where does moral failing come in? Here they're saying, oh, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, moral failing is not the issue here. Dr. Scott says, when does, where does moral failing commit? Sadly, it is often the moral failing that opens the door to the addiction in the first place. Scripture talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's 1 John 2, 15 and 16. When we give into, that is our moral choice, how are we going to use our will? When we give into the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, we allow the introduction of an activity or substance that can physiologically alter our brain chemistry, especially over time. Addiction is often a dose-response situation. So the more exposure we allow to the substance or behavior, the greater the addiction and the more difficult it will to break the addiction. Addiction follows the choice to behave in a certain way. Addiction does not just happen. A choice needs to be made first in order to give addiction an opportunity to develop and grow. So there is a moral issue, and that is the first choice. What are you choosing to do? Are you choosing to watch pornography? Are you choosing to overdose? Are you choosing to drink too much alcohol? He goes on. In our morally deteriorating society where anything goes and where the body and mind are not viewed as the temple of the Holy Spirit and where it is morally reprehensible to prescribe right and wrong, we open the door to free choice that makes developing an addiction very easy. With addiction, there is apparently a point in which the physiology takes over and the power of morality and choice is rendered almost useless. So that's when you become a slave to sin. With many of most addictions, it is far safer not to start in the first place than try to quit later on. Addiction is a very powerful mind-body condition that is not likely to be overridden by intention backed by morality. Morality has to engage before exposure and prevent exposure in the first place. We'll turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we realize that we battle those temptations, and, and some of you may be battling some kind of habit that you know is wrong, and yet it's hard for you to break from that particular uh, habit. It may not be a, a substance abuse, it may be a sinful habit that you have. Ephesians 6, verse 17, you know how to overcome with the power of God's Spirit and by the power of the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You know, not weak, not weak-willed, but strengthen your will in the power of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and have done all to stand with truth and with peace and with the shield of faith the fire to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yes, you can and you must overcome. One of the major addictions today is pornography. And even the, the I think it's the latest uh, Christianity Today magazine, uh, we're mentioning that 68% of Christian men regularly view pornography. And that has to be overcome. It has to be overcome with the very power of God. And, of course, there is another uh, organization uh, that tries to help people uh, overcome those uh, those particular uh, temptations. Let me see if I can find another statistic on it here that I'm looking for. Um, it's called the Conquer Series, the Battle uh, Plan for Purity. Uh, on this particular website, uh, Conquer Series, according to a national survey among churches, the survey conducted over the past five years revealed that 68% of Christian men and 50% of pastors view pornography regularly. Early in the year, research revealed that, quote, of young adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% Act, uh, actively, and these are Christians, actively seek out porn. Additionally, when asked about a friend's porn use, 49% of young adults said that all or most of their friends view porn regularly. And we have Tomorrow's World magazine articles on it. If you do a search on tomorrowsworld.org, addictions come in many forms. So one article by uh, Mr. Rod McNair, Pornography, The Dirty Little Secret, September, October uh, 2013. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 28, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And by chances are that some of you may have that problem. You've got to break away from that problem. How do you do it? Well, of course, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, be, uh, he says, uh, be afflicted and mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I know when I've counseled some young men who had uh, some of those problems, I said, the next time you sin, Fast from that moment on. And uh, he did. He was able to overcome uh, one of those kinds of addictions. So you need to repent. You need the willingness to stop. And like the Apostle Paul said, with my mind, I want the will of God. I serve the law of God. You've got to make that decision. You've got to surrender totally to God. Key number three in fulfilling God's will is to surrender to God's will and to submit to God's will. Remember, we have free moral agency, and we need to make sure that we're submitting to God's will. Number four, practice God's will. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 21, practice God's will. You may know how to do God's will, but then temptation's coming along and you're still 
and you're still wishy-washy, uh, you, you have weak will, you haven't made that commitment, you need to make that commitment and then follow through with that commitment. Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that practices, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And if you are habitually imbibing in those uh, internet and uh, videos that you should not be watching, you're committing adultery every day. You've got to repent of that and stop it. Now, sometimes, of course, you need help from someone else. Uh, we do not say that you should confess your sins to, uh, to pastors. You confess your sins to God. You know, 1 John 1, verse 9. But if you need help from a pastor or minister, please see us, and we can try and help you if you have that kind of an addiction or you have some kind of a sin that you just have problems overcoming. And get help and ask for prayer from other people to help you to overcome that sin. We need to practice God's will. And of course, Jesus said what God's will is, Matthew 4.4, 4, Matthew, Luke 4.4, 4, my food, you know, is to do the will of him that sent me. Actually, this is the word of God. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We are practicing every word of God. We live by every word of God. We practice the will of God. First Peter 4 and uh, verse 19. First Peter 4 and verse 19. Again, I quote this scripture quite frequently. Because it again has to do with God creating in us His perfect righteous character. And it's through tests and trials, as Mr. Armstrong said in that struggle that he was going through. But he had joy in defeat, as he mentions there in chapter 17 of his autobiography, about the life and death struggle that he had. But once he surrendered, he had that peace of mind and that joy and contentment. And so here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 19, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Again, you don't understand what, what's going on with me. I'm suffering. I'm in pain. We already saw in Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, lean not to your understanding. But if you're suffering according to the will of God, commit your souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator, or as it says in the NIV, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. So even while you're suffering, you need to be continuing to do good, but you are trusting in God that He knows what He's doing. And Tara Renail, in her Choose to Believe, beautiful, touching, Song had this as part of her words. And I can choose to believe that you know what you're doing, even when I can't see why. You'll take care of it all in your time. 
And I can choose to believe that you know what you're doing, even when I can't see why. You'll take care of it in your time. I choose to believe. I choose to believe. Just beautiful. But it just illustrates exactly what we're reading here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 19. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, turn back there. We know that one person that suffered according to the will of God put his life into God's hands. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, you're familiar with the Apostle Paul's problem, the thorn in the flesh that he experienced. 2 Corinthians 12, and verse 9. And he said, oh, well, let's start with verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above all measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. For I exalted, I lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, Therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Dr. Meredith, when he had his stroke in the last... Uh, diagnosis of his prostate cancer, said, I want to learn every lesson God wants me to learn from this trial. We have two sermons on the subject, The Lasting Lessons of Suffering, sermon number 656, and Learning Lasting Lessons of Life, sermon number 856. So who actually practiced God's will as a part of his life? We already read Acts 13, verse 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And do you know of anyone else in life, in your experience, that you would say was one who sought to do God's will and practice God's will? The worldwide news of February 10th, 1986, had this headline about Herbert Armstrong after his death. God's will was, quote, the joy of his life, end of quote, says Pastor General about HWA by Joseph W. Tkach. He says, the tireless dedication to God's church and work, the long hours, the drive, the energy, and the enthusiasm for doing God's will are burned into our memories of him. The joy of his life was doing the will of God. Let that example motivate us as God's people around the world to run with the endurance, the spiritual race that is set before us. We wish that that admonition had been kept and followed afterwards. Let's turn to uh, 1 John, the fifth chapter, 1 John 5. We realize that we have to practice God's will, know God's will, submit to God's will, resist the temptations. First John, the fifth chapter, first John five. When we practice God's will, He showers all kinds of blessings upon us. We He gives us exceeding great and precious promises. There in Second Peter 1. 
But here in 1 John 5, in verse 14, he says, Oh, sorry, I got Peter rather than John. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. 1 John 3, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Key number four to fulfilling God's will is practice God's will. We want to seek God's will, know God's will, surrender to God's will, and practice God's will. We saw this awesome promise and admonition in Philippians 2. Turn back, we started with that verse in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All of us need to have, of course, the fear of God. We had a sermon on the blessings of a godly fear, sermon number 992. We stand in awe of who and what God is. We stand in awe of our Savior and Lord and Master and King, Jesus Christ. And we tremble before them because we know that we are just flesh and blood and bones But God loves us and given us His Holy Spirit. And we are precious in His sight. So we realize that God loves us and wants us to succeed and to be in His kingdom. So as we fear Him, we also love Him. And the Apostle Paul, even in this epistle of the Philippians, it tells us to fear Him and tremble before Him, uses the word rejoice ten times so we can still rejoice as we stand in awe of God and we have our part to do yes that's the days of unleavened bread lesson to overcome self Satan in society but God has the power to give us that salvation and to give us victory and so he gives us that promise then in verse 13 How are we going to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Galatians 2.20, It's Christ in you. Realize in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. James 4.4, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So God promises that if you're weak-willed, you can become strong-willed. If you're fighting the slavery to sin, you can be freed from sin because you are committing your life into God's hands. You've counted the cost and you realize, yes, as it says in Hebrews 12, you have not yet resisted to sin, striving against blood. We have to do our part, but we must claim God's promise to complete the spiritual work He's begun in us. And you realize, as it says in Psalm 40 and verse 8, that a 
prophecy of Jesus himself concerning the will of God. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I hope, brethren, that all of us can come to that place in our lives where we enjoy recapturing true values, that we can delight in doing God's will, and that we have the power that Christ had when he said, my meat, my food, my sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Our Savior completed the work that God gave him to do. He fulfilled God's will in all his life. So let's remember the four keys we've discussed today. To seek, know, surrender, and practice. God said of King David, that he's a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So pray, brethren, that you and I, every man, woman, and child, can do all God's will. Pray that you can delight to fulfill God's will and that his law will be written on your heart. Let's pray fervently to our Father in heaven every day. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.